Well, we're talking in this series about something that all of us know because we've experienced it, where we, we have just simply, no other way to say it, we've just felt stuck. It's like, I don't know how I got here. I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to get out of this, but here I am, and, and I've got my problems and I've got my challenges, I've got my hang-ups and my habits and my addictions, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I'm not quite sure how I got to this place in the first place, but I'm most assuredly not sure how I'm going to be able to get out. And so we start grasping for ways to pull ourselves away from these things. We tell ourselves, you know, we coach ourselves up, and we'll say, like, all right, this is the answer to it. You just got to try harder, you know, sort of grit, dig in. You know, it's, it's all about you trying harder, you becoming stronger. And, and we find many times that the harder that we try, it's like the more fr- frustrating we become because we realize we don't have the power to break out of being stuck all on our own. In fact, we talked about that last week in step one, and we're going to follow that up this morning. Step one is this whole idea, and we talked about it in great detail last week, and that is admitting that we're powerless over our desire to do wrong. And we talked about that. But here's our problem. Again, we know we're stuck. Uh, we say, I've got to do something about it. I've got to make this happen. Obviously, I got myself into this. Now, I'm going to have to. And we come up with these, like, moral self-improvement plans. But, again, it goes fundamentally back to a problem that we talked about last week right out of Romans chapter 7. And it is this idea that we're stuck oftentimes be- because of our sin. And, and it's this uh, idea that we try to live our lives independently of, of God. And the core reality, uh, the deeper core problem of this, this first step, remember, is I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. I just find myself, remember what Paul said? He said, man, I look at my life and I find that the very things I know I should not do, those are the things that I'm drawn to and the things that I know I should not do. I I don't feel great motivation to do those things. And then he said, well, what's the problem? And he came to the conclusion that I hope all of us have reached and that is tethered to that reality is the reality at the core of our life. We struggle, we do battle with sin because it takes root in our life so oftentimes. And uh, we said that, that sin is this idea. We like to complicate it, but at the end of the day, sin is basically this idea is that I try to live my life independently of God. I, I want to show you uh, a verse, uh, and this not going to be where we're going to spend our time this morning, so I'm not trying to throw you off. Uh, this is in the very first book of the Bible in the Old Testament in Genesis. And on this occasion, the evil one is actually talking to Eve. Remember Adam and Eve, and so the evil one is talking to Eve, and basically what God has said is, I've created you, and I've placed you into this beautiful garden. The Bible calls it the Garden of Eden, and God said, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but do not eat from this one tree. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look with me, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. This is what the evil one says to Eve. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you will see what's really going on, and then read this next portion with me, and you'll be just like, just like God. You'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging from good to evil. 
And uh, as I mentioned to you last Sunday, each of us possess this tendency to play God. Now, now we're not brazen enough. We don't come out and say, well, there is no God and I am God. We don't, we don't do that. But we live our lives oftentimes as though we were God. By that I mean, uh, a lot of times what we will do, at best, we ignore God. At our worst, we just totally disobey Him. We totally disregard Him. We know emphatically what He wants us to do or not do, and we just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm God. I'll, I'll do what I want, when I want, with who I want, and my life is my own. And, and we touched on that last weekend, how that a lot of times we think is freedom, is being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want it. But the reality is that only leads to bondage and slavery and a life of frustration. And only Jesus can provide for us the freedom that deep down we really want to have. But a lot of times we live our lives. We play God. A story I came across uh, some time ago, and I brought it uh, with me this morning, and uh, it, it goes like this. It's, it's about a patient who sees a psychiatrist for the first time, and this is how it plays out. When the new patient was settled comfortably on the couch, the psychiatrist began his therapy session this way, said to the patient, I- I'm not aware of your problem at all, the doctor said, so perhaps you'll start at the very beginning. Of course, said the patient. I'll start at the beginning. And then the patient said, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. Well, well, you and I are not going to do that because we technically, we don't think we're God, but we live our lives as though we are God. Now, this morning, what I want to deal with is I want to deal with step two. Step one, I must admit that I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. Now, today we're going to talk about step two, and in doing so, I want to talk to you about a guy in the Old Testament that as far as I can remember, I don't know that I've ever talked about him in a talk given here before. I, I don't think that I have. I know that I've not like devoted an entire talk to him. I may have never even mentioned his name prior to today. And his name, it's a unique name. It's a different name. You may want to consider it. If, you know, if you're expecting a little one and you already found out through an ultrasound, it's going to be a little boy and you're trying to determine, you know, do I name him this or this or this? Here's a name that you may want to give some consideration to. It's, no other kid in his class will have it. So it is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is, is this guy's name. And Nebuchadnezzar is in the Old Testament and he is actually a king. But before I tell you his story, I want to mention to you step two in becoming unstuck. I'm going to get it out here and just lay it out, and then we're going to talk through Nebuchadnezzar's story. Step one, remember, I must admit that I am powerless. Step two, I must admit that God is all-powerful. I must admit, because that's where my true help is going to come from. I find myself stuck. I want to get better. I I want to do good. I I want to do more of what I know I should do, less of what I know I should not do. And I try to pull myself out. But it seems the harder that I try, the more stuck I become. And it's because I'm powerless. Paul talked about that. But step two is acknowledging, although I'm powerless, I must admit, I must acknowledge that God is all-powerful. Now, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, it is a fascinating story, and I'm going to ask you to go on this journey with me. I want you to step into the story. I want to bring you in. So if you've been thinking about your shopping list, stop it. If you've been thinking about what you got to do tomorrow, put it down for a while. And let me just have your undivided attention for about the next 30 to 32 minutes, and then we're going to be done. But walk with me into the story. It's very unique. 
is a fascinating story when you read it, and perhaps you'll go back and read the whole account later. But I want to just walk you through a portion of the story. And actually, um, the story begins of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, and he tells his own story. It's Nebuchadnezzar is this powerful king, and he's like, you know, providing the story himself. He's telling his story. And look at verse 4 of chapter 4, right up here on the screen. This is what he said. He said, I was living comfortably in my palace, enjoying great prosperity. And you just see, and you can just sense sort of the, you know, how proud he's feeling, really how arrogant that he's feeling. He's like looking around at all of his stuff, relishing in all of his accomplishments, thinking about all that he's done and the power of his own domain and dominion. And, and he's just saying, look at me. Here I am. Man, I'm comfortable. I, I've got affluence. I've got a lot of stuff. I'm in my palace that I've had built with my own hands. And, and you know, my life is really, really good right now. And uh, I'm enjoying all this great prosperity. But I want you to think about this. And this is not just true of Nebuchadnezzar. It is also true of your life and my life so many times, and that is that we lack. He is a classic example of someone who lacks self-awareness and does not realize just how stuck that he really is. And he's stuck because he is living his life independent of God. This is about me. This is my palace. This is my, my things. This is my life. This is my abundance. This is my affluence. This is my prosperity. I'm in control. I am powerful. Look at me. Life is going good. I'm the king of a great city. In fact, my city, my city far surpasses the splendor of any other city. And that was true. It really was true about the city that Nebuchadnezzar was king over. There was no other city at that time that was comparable with his city. And he's saying, this is me. This is all about me. I'm a great man. I'm the greatest man in the world. I am fully in charge. I am bulletproof. I am untouchable. I am powerful. And he is steep in his arrogance. He looks at his stuff and he is stuck. He doesn't realize it yet, but he is severely stuck. And sin is so entrenched in his life because he is living his life independent of God. It is me. I am powerful. Look at what I have done. Look at my success. Look at my accomplishments. And it's all about the power of Nebuchadnezzar. And in his mind, it has nothing to do with an all-powerful God. He's feeling good about his accomplishments. In fact, uh, within the last couple of weeks and reading more about Nebuchadnezzar's life, there was something about him I never heard before. A historian, a reliable historian tells us this about Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to it. This is part of his accomplishments. It says by this historian that he built so many buildings that it actually took 126 pages just to document the inscriptions that he had written on the buildings that he had have built. Can you, can you imagine that? 126 pages just for the inscriptions that he had put on the buildings that he had built. His fame and power is widely known. It's known throughout the entire world. Everybody has heard about his city. Everybody has heard about this powerful king. And everybody in his own kingdom looked to Nebuchadnezzar for food and shelter 
And he's feeling that. You saw it just a moment ago in verse 4. He's just standing there. And, and if you walk into the story with me, you can just capture this image. Here he is, maybe arms folded, looking around. And he said, here I am. I'm living comfortably. I'm in my palace. I'm enjoying this great prosperity. My life is good. I'm powerful. I'm the greatest man on the earth. Now, he continues his story in the very next verse. And it's not on the screen, but I'll just read the A part of that verse to you. So you see that scene. This is all about me. This is my stuff. Look at all my abundance. Look at all my prosperity. Then you go to the very next verse, and this is what it says. You need to listen to this now. He said, I had a dream that terrified me. The very next verse. Life is going really good, but then I had a dream that terrified me. It just shook me. I woke up in cold sweats. Now, I actually, I actually uh, mentioned to our 930 church family that same verse that I just mentioned to you, and I kid you not, I'm just hitting replay for just a moment. When I was reading that verse, I had forgotten about it, but I actually had a dream last night. Kidding, I'm, I'm not kidding. I had a dream last night that terrified me. And you said, really? What's that all about? And it hit me while I was giving this uh, same talk in, in the 930 service. I actually had a dream last night that I was in another country. I don't even know the name of the country. It was getting very, very late. I did not know where I was. There's a group of people that I traveled with on this trip to this country, and it's getting near midnight now, and I don't know how to, I, I don't know the city. I don't know how to get back. I'm totally lost. I'm feeling that the things around me are, are pretty dangerous, and it just so happened in my dream that my oldest son, who was seated on the front row in the 930 service, my oldest son, Brent, was in this dream, and and I called Brent up, and I said to Brent, Brent, I'm lost. Here's where I am, but I don't know how to get to where all you guys are. Will you come and pick me up? And he said, no, I can't. I'm too tired. <laughs> and that dream that I had last night just hit me when I read verse 5 of the 930 service. And so I said to him, obviously subconscious." Something subconsciously is going on here. Maybe you and I, and I said it publicly, maybe you and I should talk right after the service. And, and we did. Now, something else I had forgot. He said, I think, Dad, I can discern your dream. I said, oh, really? I said, well, I'd like to hear it. He said, well, maybe you forgot that you called me last night at 10 o'clock asking me if I would go with you to Walmart to buy a lawnmower, and I told you I was too tired. I said, oh, I forgot about that. Excuse me. I'm sorry. But here's the king, and now he's saying, but I've had this dream, and this dream terrified me. Now, here's what I want to do. You're in the story with me, right? Wave your hand if you're with me. Let me see it, all right? You're with me. So I need your help. I want you to help me to discern the dream and why it created such anxiety for the king, and I'm going to give you a hint. How many of you are glad I'm going to give you a hint? I am. Now, in this dream, all right, you ready? In this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has caused him to wake up in cold sweats, terrified him, in this dream was this enormous tree, this great tree. And it's actually not about a tree. It's actually about a person. This dream is actually about a powerful person. 
And Nebuchadnezzar says, in my dream, I saw the branches, and the branches of this great tree extended throughout the known world. Everybody knew about this tree. And this tree, people looked to this tree to provide them the food and the shelter and the protection that they needed. And this was a great tree. Let's keep moving through his story. I want you to see some more verses up here. Uh, guys are going to put them on the screen, beginning in verse 13. Take a look at it. He's telling his own story. He's telling about his own dream. He said, in the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him, and this, now we know, this is, do you see the words? Him, now we know, this is not about a tree, this is about a person. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, if you can imagine, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Remember what I mentioned to you earlier? Step two is just saying, you know, step one, I know that I'm powerless over my desire to do wrong. Step two is, but I know, and I must admit that God is all powerful. And he said in this dream, there was this acknowledgement that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Now, anybody here, have you figured out who this dream may be about? Any ideas? It's about him. It's about Nebuchadnezzar. He's this great dream, this great tree. He's had a dream, and uh, it's strikingly evident that the dream is about him and that this is what the dream is all about, that judgment is coming to him. But the question now is, who's going to have the guts to explain to him the meaning of the dream which he's had? The dream that he said terrified me. Now, the scriptures are silent on this, so this is mere speculation on my part because I, I, I really don't know. I mean, one side of me says that Nebuchadnezzar knew that the dream was about him, and that's what terrified him. Another part of me says... Is it possible that he did not really know that it was about him? He thought that that was a real possibility. That's the reason why he calls in some people to help him to discern the dream, to explain the dream. And I want you to look at how this plays out. Look at verses 6 and 7. All of this, by the way, is in Daniel chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You see it there on the screen? So I commanded, and when you're the king, you can do that kind of stuff, give commands. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. So when the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and divineers came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. I want to stop right here, all right? Let me ask you a question. Again, speculation on your part and mine now. How many of you thought that it was a matter of they could not explain the dream, or that they would not explain the dream. I'm, I'm really convinced that they got it. They, they knew it, but they would not tell him. 
It's like, all right, we're listening. We're here. And you got you to gotta keep in mind, somebody as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar, if you cross him, the next thing you know, your head may be looking up at your body from the floor. So they're standing around, and, and he's, he's still probably, you know, feeling some anxiety. And so I saw this, this great tree, bronze and irons, and, and, you know, covered with the dew of heaven. And, you know, it's bad, guys. It was really, really bad. Branches cut off. I mean, it was a bad, bad dream. I, I need you guys to tell me what this dream is all about. And I can imagine. And, again, they're not giving voice to it, but I imagine they're just like, dude, this is about you. You don't get it. This is, this is you. Nebuchadnezzar, this is all about you. And this dream was sent to you as a warning. But it's not that they could not interpret it. They would not interpret it. Now, I've got to tell you, there's a lot of bad things uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar did in his life. There's a lot of things he got entirely wrong. But here is something that he uses wisdom in. He actually knows somebody who he is convinced will tell him the truth. And he calls for this person to come. And the person that he sends for, because, again, these magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners are standing around like, we're not going to tell him. I'm not. No way. And so they're not going to tell him the dream is about him. So he calls for somebody he knows will shoot straight with him. Anybody want to imagine who he calls? He calls the guy who this book is named after. He calls Daniel. And Daniel was not from his city. Daniel was actual, actually taking captivity. He was an Israelite taken captive, brought into the city as a young man. And he had this tremendous wisdom that God had blessed his life with. And he had this habit of being able to interpret dreams. Now, you've got to understand that it's the same Daniel who had these three friends who had crossed the king and had been thrown into a fiery furnace. God preserved them. But the reality is he's brought before them. All these guys are standing around saying, nope, 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 we're not saying a word. And then King Nebuchadnezzar lays out the dream for Daniel. And Daniel, Daniel has the courage to stop and look at the king and says, that's you. King, that dream is about you. And he's not hesitant to tell Nebuchadnezzar that the dream is in reference to him. And furthermore, you've got some major trouble coming your way. It's coming, King. You better prepare yourself. In fact, he tells him so, and he adds this footnote. It's not on the screen, but this is in verse 27 of chapter 4. He said, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. He said, this king, this king... This is you. This dream, it's you. You're the tree. And I've got some advice for you, and he gives it to him. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. King, this is about you. And, you know, I'd like to give you some advice. With all due respect, renounce your sins. Clean up your act. And perhaps God, this God that you have ignored, this God that you have lived your life independently of, this God that you have never given any credit and you have taken all the credit and all the accolades and you've walked around in your pompousness and your arrogance and your pride thinking that it was all about you, maybe it would be a good thing for you, O king, to repent. And the king hears Daniel out. He does. And you got to give him some credit for that. He believes that Daniel is being... Incredibly forthright with him, but in his mind, in his mind, and this is 
This is why you and I can relate, I believe, to the story of Nebuchadnezzar is because he is not in crisis mode yet. I mean, the dream was enough to shake him. The dream was enough to just cause him to just like, oh, man, I've got to find out what is going on here and calling in these different ones, leading to calling in Daniel. But he's not in crisis mode yet. He can still manage the pain. And for Nebuchadnezzar, having heard all of these things, now his attitude has shifted back the other way, and he says, well, I'm just going to see what happens because obviously I'm still on the throne. This is not unpleasant, at least not unpleasant enough that it forces me to change. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait, and I'll just see what happens. And how many times have we done that, friends, where God has really shook us? God has really got our attention. God has caused there to be an event or a circumstance in our life that gets our attention. Maybe it alarms us. Maybe it it concerns us. Maybe it causes us to become filled with some anxiety. And it's like God, out of his love and compassion, trying to get our attention. And we hear it, and we want to acknowledge it initially. But there's no pain that comes immediately. And so we just go back to our same old routine. And that is what Nebuchadnezzar does. And he just says, I'll wait and see what happens. And he goes to the next day and nothing has changed. He gets to the next week. Nothing's changed. Next month, nothing has changed. Life carries on. And as a result of that, month after month goes by. And listen, friends, listen, Nebuchadnezzar forgets all about the dream. But I want you to listen. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to what happens next. He's telling his story. He's telling his own story. He says, 12 months later, a year goes by since I had the dream. 12 months later, I'm walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And I said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And we just see it again. Here's a guy that is totally living his life independent of God. I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm in control. This is my life. I do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. There is no consequence. I had this dream. There was a warning. Nothing's happened. I'm okay. There's no pain. There's no crises. I'm just going to keep clicking on. 12 months later, having forgotten all about the dream. And now he's, just, now he's not in the palace. Now he's up on the roof of it. And he gets a big view of this city that his kingdom extends a dominion over. And he just says, oh, man, look at me. This is for my glory. This is all about my splendor. I'm a powerful guy. I'm in control. I'm untouchable. But he does not realize that he's in serious, serious trouble. And it happens immediately after that. In fact, look at verse 33. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Can you you imagine the metamorphosis that he's just gone through? Here's this king... And he's standing, and he's taking it all in. And he's oppressive in his ornamental robes, and and people give him worship. And people acknowledge, you're a great king, and we look to you for food and shelter. And and this is all about you, O king. And the next moment, you think about this, friends. You're in this story with me. This next moment, he's outside, and, and he's eating grass with cows. And his hair and his nails 
You ever go back and look at your yearbook from high school? Have you ever went back and maybe, you know, you saw somebody you haven't seen for a while and then you see them again and they don't look the way they did in high school and you don't remember them the way you remember them in high school? I did that not too long ago. I was back home in Atlanta and uh, I don't do Facebook, not because I'm, I'm uh, opposed to it. I just, I have trouble keeping up with email and phone calls and I, I just, I, I can't keep up with that too. And, but my sister said, hey, I'm at her house. She said, hey, let's, let's look up some of our old friends from high school. That sounded fun. And so she started, you know, she has Facebook, and so she'd pull up various friends, and we'd remember a story about that friend. And then she went to this friend who will remain unnamed. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he lives, but I'm not taking any chances lest he ever see this video. But this was the star athlete of our entire school, not just in one sport, multi-sports. This this was the kingpin of our school, sports-wise. I mean, whatever the sport was, he played it, and he was the best of any other player on the team. And she pulled up his picture. I'm like, he don't look like that anymore. <laughs> he doesn't look like a great athlete anymore. He has changed. He's not breaking many tackles today. Not hitting too many home runs now. And I'll leave it at that, <laughs> out of respect. He didn't look anything like he did in high school. Could you imagine somebody seeing Nebuchadnezzar as he is now and how he was? On his hands and knees, eating grass when he had sat at his own table. Immediately what had been said about him. Reality is revealed. He's not powerful after all because he loses his awe. He loses it all in a moment. Look at the next verse, verse 34. He said, at the end of the time, now he gets past this, but he's not yet back on the throne. He said, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, again, he's telling his story. I raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. I got my mind back. I had lost my mind. I had, remember the dream? Would lose the mind of a man and have the mind of an animal? He said, I got my mind back. My sanity was restored. And he said, when that happened, I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. I thought that I was powerful. I thought that I was in control. But now I've come to the acknowledgement. Step two is I must admit, not only am I powerless, but that God is all-powerful. And I give him praise. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know what my observation has been in the lives of others in my own life? If I do not humble myself, God will be certain to humble me. And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Gone from eating the finest, the choicest of foods on his hands and knees in the middle of cattle, eating grass like an animal, looking like a wild man, totally insane. Someone has said true humility doesn't start with having an accurate view of ourselves. It starts with having an accurate view of God. And an accurate view of God will both shrink us down to size and also make us realize just how powerful that God really is. Step one, I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. Step two, 
I must admit that God is powerful. But it's beyond that, friends. Not only is God powerful, but this powerful God wants to help me. This powerful God loves me. This powerful God, although I am not God, He created me in His image. He loves me. He wants to have fellowship and relationship with me. He cares about me. He cares that I'm stuck. He wants to help me. He looks at me in my powerless condition, and He knows I can't do anything to dislodge myself. I can't be good enough. I can't be strong enough. But He is all-powerful, and He is capable of helping me. And he's willing. In fact, he's more than willing. He longs to help me. If you think deeply about the story of Nebuchadnezzar, it is not, surprisingly, that unlike our own. Oh, it's more dramatic. Guy with his crazy hair and these long nails, ink grass. You drive by and you see that on your way home. Stop and take a picture and send it to me. I've not seen anything like that. It's dramatic. But somebody has defined his life in this way. Initially, listen, listen to this. I think it's a really good description, by the way. Initially, he is insane with no pain, which means he doesn't yet know he's insane. Let me say that again. He's insane with no pain, so he doesn't yet realize that he is insane. But this is how his mind operated, with insanity. His insanity came out in ways like this. I am powerful. Oh, no, you're not. God can take it from you in a moment. I am in control. Really? Then why are you eating grass? I created my success. Really? It's not about you. It's about God. My life is all about me. Other people, the king would say, may be vulnerable. Other people may have problems, but I'm different from other people. Never going to happen to me. But it does. Do you realize that when you and I play God, that we enter in to some kind of selective insanity ourselves. I'm playing God. I'm in control. It's my life. Do with it what I want, when I want. I don't need God. I'll do my own thing. But in time, God will get your attention. He really will. And He loves you enough to create the pain in you and me that forces us to want to change. There's a verse, it's not on the screen, but I'll read it uh, to you, and then we're going to close here in the next few moments. This is not Daniel. This is, actually, this is actually out of the New Testament. This is Paul. He said, For although they knew God, they, ni- they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking, their messed up, their insanity, their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Initially, The life of Nebuchadnezzar is one that he is insane with no pain, which means he doesn't yet know he's insane. But there's another chapter to his life, and we saw it a little earlier. Now he's insane with pain. His life starts coming apart, and he can't stop it. You ever been that there before? It just felt like your whole life was unraveling, and you didn't even even know where to grasp. You just, I'm, I'm coming apart. He can't stop it. He hits bottom, and he never thought that it could happen to a powerful guy like him. But God did not create this pain for Nebuchadnezzar because he hated Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, God loved Nebuchadnezzar. He just knew this about our fallen nature. He knew that it was true for Nebuchadnezzar, and he knows that it's true for you and me. A lot of times, God never gets our attention until we experience some sort of pain and challenge in our life. 
as long as everything's fine. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. He even got terrified through a dream, even had a guy, a godly man, tell him that this is about him and judgment was coming. But nothing changed that day or the next day or the next week or the next month, and it wasn't for a year later. But when it came upon him, it came upon him suddenly. And it's not because God hated him. It's because God loved him. In fact, it was Rick Warren who wrote this statement. I love this statement. Uh, problems always get our attention, and the more painful they are, the more we pay attention. I love it, not because it's pleasant, but because it's real. Problems get our attention. And sometimes the bigger the problem, the greater the pain, the more we pay attention. But there's this next chapter in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and that is the chapter when he realizes the one who possesses real power. I'm not in control. This is not about me. And he stops and he says, when that hit me, remember he's been telling his own story? When I realized that, he got his sanity back. And he said, when that happened, then I praised the Most High God. I honored and I glorified him. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That I am powerless. But there is a God in heaven who is all-powerful. And he loves me, and he cares about me, and he wants to help me. And that is true about you. So what do we do? Step one, I'm powerless over my desire to do wrong. Step two, but I admit, I must admit that God is all-powerful and that he loves me and that he wants to help me. And I need to invite him to become the leader and the director of my life. And he says, I will do that. I love you that much. Now, friends, I'm just saying, hear me, and then we're going to pray. I'm not going to tell you the person. I'm not going to tell you where it's found in the Bible. But I'm just saying to you, next week, step three, what we're going to look at, I think it's one of the, I've seen this so often, so many people, we get stuck over the very thing we're going to talk about next week, but I believe it may be one of the most liberating Sundays you may have ever encountered in your life. It's a fantastic story. You don't want to miss it. All I'll tell you who's in it is Jesus. I won't even tell you the other person. So you can decide between now and then. But it's an amazing story, and we all need to hear it. You stand with me for a closing prayer. Step one, I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. Step two, God is all-powerful. He loves me. He cares about me. And he wants to help me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And for the next 60 seconds, please, nobody looking around or nobody leaving. But if you're here today and you just say, you know what? I need God. I need God. I know I'm not in control. I know now it's not all about me. I know I'm not all powerful. It could all come apart at the seams tomorrow. I need God. And maybe you'd even take it beyond that and say, I've got some pain in my life. And I think that maybe God is using this pain, not that he caused it necessarily, but he's using it to try to get my attention on him, away from myself, away from my circumstances, and back on him. And maybe God is using this pain in my life to create within me a desire to change and to acknowledge that he's all-powerful and that I need him in my life. And if that's you, would you just lift up your hand and say, pray for me. 
there's some stuff going on in my life, and I know I need to change, and I know that God wants to help me, and I pray that God will touch my life. You can put your hands down, and God, thank you so much that we learn from your word, and we learn, God, that we are not in control and how desperately that we need you. And because you love us, you get our attention, and you want to help us, and you care about us. You want us to change and to live that fulfilling day by day, life to life, life with you. And I just pray, God, that you would minister to every person that raised their hand and that you would touch them and that you would bring to pass your will for their life. For you are indeed an all-powerful God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I love you, everybody. See you back here next Sunday.